Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Broadband.Money. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 13th episode of 2022. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors for Fiber for Breakfast, including our platinum sponsor, Broadband.Money, our gold sponsors, Jonard Tools, Millennium, and MyBundle.TV and our silver sponsor, STL. You know, last Wednesday, we kicked off our series of regional Fiber Connect workshops that began in Baton Rouge. You know, despite severe weather and tornadoes, you know, I don't know, locusts may have came in, I don't know, the night before, but we ended up with record attendance and a great Fiber workshop. You know, I'd like to thank Governor John Bell Edwards and Beneath Iyengar, the Louisiana State Broadband Director for all their tremendous support for this event. Our next stop is gonna be at the Omni in Providence, Rhode Island on April 19th. We invited the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, and her Chief of Staff, Kevin Gallagher, to join us back in her home state. As many of you know, uh, Secretary Raimondo was the first female governor of Rhode Island from 2015 to 2021. We'll also hear from State Representative Deb Ruggiero, who's an uh, outspoken advocate for fiber. And we have a great lineup of speakers. We also expect to have a broad audience from community leaders from the surrounding states. So please join us in Rhode Island, April 19th. And after Rhode Island, we're gonna be in Nashville, um, June 12th to 15th for Fiber Connect 2022. And last week at Fiber for Breakfast, you heard from our conference chair, JJ Jones and our conference program director, Rich Williams, on the over 200 speakers and 170 sessions planned this year. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Also, if you register early during early bird registration, which ends on April 15th, you'll get free admission into our pre-conference workshops. After Nashville, we're gonna be at the Copper Mountain Resort in Colorado on August 23rd, and then we'll be in Columbus, Ohio on November 3rd. I don't know what's going on in Columbus in Ohio, but we already got a ton of registrants for that. So um, I can see that people are, you know, chomping at the bit in Ohio. So appreciate that. Anyway, we hope to see you there. Um, you know, Jennifer has the information there on your screen. So please, um, you know, start registering. I'm also, Incredibly excited. I've been excited for weeks here on today's Fire for Breakfast session. We're going to be discussing crowdsourced network performance data insights into customer experience and broadband funding opportunities. You know, last week at the Fire for Breakfast, the Fire Broadband Association's conference leadership provided a quick preview on what to expect at Fiber Connect 22. And that's coming up in Nashville, June 12th to 15th. Um, today, we'll be speaking with Brian Dar, the Vice President of Smart Communities at Ookla. As many of you know, I'm a huge fan of data and analytics, and Ookla is a very rich source of network performance data. 
Today's session is crowdsourced net performance data insights into customer experience and broadband funding opportunities. I can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to this session. Yeah, Brian is the Vice President of Smart Communities at Ookla. His focus is on bringing Ookla's vast network performance and coverage intelligence to the public sector and the telecommunications infrastructure industry. Brian has spent most of his professional life in the wireless industry, beginning with a career in cellular as a sales rep for Cellular One of Memphis in 1985. After discovering his customers were having a difficult time traveling with their phones, he founded Mosaic in 1988, originally branded as American Roamer, and began developing consumer roaming guides. Soon, Mosaic was researching and designing mobile operator coverage maps, enabled them to market the reach of their mobile networks. In June 2018, Mosaic was acquired by Ookla, and Brian serves on many industry committees during his career. He currently serves on CTIA's Smart Cities Steering Committee. So welcome, Brian. And for audience, please type in your questions as we go, and I'll work them into our discussion at the Q&A at the end. Uh, with that, over you, Brian. Gary, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with everybody this morning. Uh, we've got quite a few slides to show. We're going to start out a little bit with uh, some background on Ookla, for those of you who might not be familiar with all of the different things that we do. Jennifer is, uh, I think, yeah, kind of advance our slides for us here. We are the global leader in mobile and broadband network intelligence. We have roughly 18 million consumer-initiated tests every day, and we just passed 40 billion about a month ago of total tests to date. All of our data is anonymized. Um, we're, we're very big on the privacy front. Uh, we do a lot of business in, in Europe and, and, frankly, around the world, and uh, I have certainly wanted to get on board and ahead of that here in the United States, as California has already enacted quite a few of those laws. We have the most users, tests, data, and insight uh, of this type of, of anybody in the world. This is just a, a quick view of our global server network. Uh, we've got over 16,000 testing servers across the world, about 1,600 uh, within the United States. And as you can see, we've got 10,000, more than 10,000 global hosts, different companies that host these servers for us. Uh, we have uh, uh, good, really good working relationships with folks at NTIA and FCC and other major leadership uh, groups around the world. Uh, both NT NTIA used our data for their most recent national broadband map that, uh, that they released last year. The FCC uh, has, has just renewed their relationship with us uh, just a, a few weeks ago uh, and extended that as they're preparing to work on their new map. So a little bit about the role for crowdsourced data and, and why it's so important. Um, the sheer volume of it is just exponential relative to other efforts. You, you do get a consistency. Uh, when people try to go do their own collection, they typically end up getting a spike uh, of, of, of data and then it drops off. We have a loyal user base that, that consistently provides this information. Uh, the diversity of ways that people use the internet, a way to validate whether we're actually seeing service provisioned at a given level uh, in a given area. And then of course the history, you've got a baseline of what you're looking at today. You can look back to see how far we've come. And as we move forward into the future, it's a way to measure that progress. The Broadband Data Act uh, does very clearly state that, that um, the, the FCC is required to prioritize the consideration of data by data collection applications used by consumers. 
and and this is really the the way that most consumers are going to be able to let their feelings be known. Uh, not a whole lot of people want to go out and do a lot of surveys. How do we collect this data? Um, we do get a lot of data from mobile devices. Yes, people take speed tests in browsers. We have desktop applications as well. But if people use a mobile device, then we get an extra bonus. We get extraordinarily granular GPS latitude and longitude information associated with where that test was taken. If you see only the bars on your phone, then you're testing your cellular network. If you see that Wi-Fi connection, then the vast majority of those tests are actually capturing a fixed network. And uh, that allows us to see not only the mobile device and, and who, the, who it's subscribing to on the mobile side, but it does allow us to see who the fixed ISP is because we are seeing the entire trace route. We have a lot of questions about latency associated with the Wi-Fi connection itself. We, since we see the trace route, we can individually look at the different portions of it. And so we do actually remove tests before we aggregate them. Now, all the tests are on our raw data, but we do remove the tests before we aggregate into the numbers that we present uh, publicly. Uh, anything you know that, that has a, a too high of a latency on that first hop between a laptop uh, and, and the Wi-Fi router or the mobile device and the Wi-Fi router. So wanted to just provide a quick view of you know, what latency looks like today across the various types of networks. Uh, upper right-hand corner, all fixed networks, you can see that, that across the entire country, that's averaging about 14 milliseconds uh, with some level of variety here in the, in the top providers. But this number does actually represent everyone. So it's a mix of, of DSL, cable, fiber, uh, and, and these are the numbers that, um, that we see today. Down below there, the satellite networks, you can see the extraordinary difference between the low Earth orbit that's, that Starlink is, is, uh, uh, has been rolling out relative to the more traditional providers at HughesNet and Viasat. And then, of course, on the left with the mobile providers, you can see that low 30s is about what they're, is about what they're averaging uh, typically for, for the latency on their mobile networks. This is a view into the aggregated data. This has gone through all of our methodology. So a lot of tests have been removed that didn't meet certain criteria like the Wi-Fi connection that I mentioned before. Uh, there are other things that, that get filtered out as well. And we do account for users that are very heavy users versus those that are very light. And this is a way for, for our clients to be able, and, and for regulators and, and, and state broadband offices for that matter, to actually take a look at the trending uh, over over various geographic areas over a long period of time. Uh, the next slide, uh, please, Jennifer, will actually show how we break out, you know, the individual ISPs, and we can show what the test counts are. The user count really really defines how many unique devices that we're seeing uh, that that represent all of those tests. Uh, and and you get your download, your upload, and your latency numbers averaged for each one for whatever geographic area that you've searched on, whether that's a city or a county or a zip code or the entire country. All right, Jennifer, I'm gonna ask you to be on your toes here because we're gonna go through quite a few slides quickly. We're gonna sh show some layering of maps uh, and the various types of, of, of crowdsource data that we can use to help inform really what's out there. We're gonna zoom in on a, on a community called Black Forest, Colorado, right outside of Colorado Springs. It's got, uh, it, it's, it's suburban, but uh, part of it's forested. Where it's actually populated has got a density a bit higher than um, uh, 150 people per square mile. 
because uh, there is a lot of, of, of wooded area within it, as the name would imply. Uh, but if you'll go to the next slide, please, Jennifer, we'll start layering this information here. So what, all we've done is pull down the, um, uh, the Form 477 data, the, the last reported information. I know there's new coming, but the last that's out there is December 2020. This just, uh, for simplification, all the different flavors of DSL, we just rolled onto one layer. The next layer is going to show cable overlaid on top of that. We're not going to try and mix them. Uh, we're going to show the most modern technology on top. And the next layer is going to show the fiber on top of that that's claimed by the operators that have uh, submitted this information to the FCC. You can see the municipal boundary in gray. So now we've got all of the different layers of technology that should be available. The next slide is now going to show the speed tests that we're seeing only on the fixed networks. We're going to talk about mobile in a minute but this is just fixed. And so we're looking at 2021 speed tests. This is 12 months worth of fixed test, and, and it's only a subset. It's only those tests that we can define with a very high granularity of, of GPS, uh, very high accuracy. And so you can see here in blue, we've got areas in the, the lower left-hand corner of the map, southwest corner of the map in the city of Colorado Springs. We're seeing a lot of very high speed rollout down there that's got to be either fiber or at least very, very modern cable networks. But other areas that where fiber was claimed in December 2020, we're not seeing that rollout. Is it an adoption issue? Is it under construction right now and just not completed? These are some of the questions that regulators and the state broadband offices are wrestling with. How do we reconcile these differences with what's been reported to the FCC? Now we're going to take a look at the mobile networks. The other piece of information that we can collect in the background um, that's not consumer initiated. If someone has downloaded our app to an Android device and opted to allow us to see their location, we are anonymously capturing signal strength and quality readings in the background as they go about their daily lives. What you see here in green and blue is very strong signal. What you see in orange to, to red is, is a weaker signal. The next slide is actually going to show where we have <laughs> layered. <clears throat> the first slide was just Verizon. Now we put all of the three major national networks on here and combined them together. It's kind of messy, but we're now going to peel back on the next slide all of the poorer coverage where people are going to have difficulty inside. Oh, I apologize. I skipped one. We've now circled the areas here in this purple outline where we have populated areas, where areas where people have actually built homes and businesses, and we've got streets to, that, that need to be covered as well. And you can see that these areas are very poorly covered, yet there are, there are people living, driving, and going to work in these areas. All right, now we've pulled back <clears throat> the weaker coverage. We can clearly see you know, where these areas are and where the networks are, are not covering them very strongly. And what you're going to need on for both fixed and for wireless ultimately is fiber connectivity. Um, the next slide, please, Jennifer, is going to show the speed tests on the mobile networks that we're experiencing in these areas. And you can see it's, it's, a, it's a mix of how dense this information is but particularly on the left-hand side, you're going to see a lot of, of, of attempts to get a speed test. The red uh, and, and yellow dots show where they're below 25 or below 100 uh, and, and obviously struggling to get you know, decent connectivity. 
the next slide is going to then show on top of that where we have detected towers and you can clearly see the areas that are in need of infrastructure development and uh, so this this is the wireless that we're looking at here as i mentioned this is all wireless uh, but we're going to leave these uh, these boundaries on here that we've drawn where the poor coverage is and now we're going to flip to the next slide which is going to overlay those same boundaries back to the fixed networks and you can see in most of these areas that have been outlined the connectivity is poor on both fixed and on mobile you've got an opportunity to invest here where where not only do you need connectivity directly to homes and, and businesses but you also need connectivity to the wireless infrastructure that's going to have to be put in place to improve coverage for uh, to these to these users so here just quick overview of of a couple of ways that state broadband offices have been using our data um, state of ohio uh, hired an outside consulting firm called Reed Consulting. You see them referenced in the bottom right-hand corner. Um, and they actually took all of our data for the entire state and then showed where this averaged out uh, to be uh, the varying speeds as the state's trying to understand you know, where, the connect where the need for connectivity is the highest. You're gonna have some tests within some of these even poor areas that might be higher, a bit higher than the average, but this is where consumers are having the most difficulty getting good connectivity to the internet. South Carol the South Carolina Broadband Office has actually published an atlas county by county of what level of technology is expected there. They've then overlaid that with UCLA speed test data and with demographic data. The map on the left actually shows not only the different speed tiers, but the, underneath that where the speed tiers don't meet those FCC minimums, where the density of population then also can justify a higher level of infrastructure bill. And they've broken this out for the, for the entire state county by county and also developed a scorecard that you see at the bottom middle. That's it for our slides today. Uh, certainly want to thank you for the opportunity to present that and I'll hand this back over to Gary. Hey, thanks, Brian. You know, I just love these kind of discussions. Um, hey, Jennifer, whip it, send it back to that latency chart. And um, so one of the things, Brian, latency to me is, you know, that I think about that all day long. That's, you know, I just think that's the long pole in the tent now that we're, you know, delivering gigabit networks and 10 gig networks. It, it's really all going to be all about latency. And it's, you know, keep going back, Jennifer, to you'll see a bunch of charts on latency. The, the um, thing that I'm concerned about are, you know, the FCC had defined low latency as sub 100. Keep going back, Jennifer. Um, so go go way back to like near Lots the of beginning. Slides. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, the FCC had defined it as 100 milliseconds under 100 milliseconds. Um, right there, yeah. So I I believe it needs to be under 20 milliseconds, and I'd like to get us down to at least sub three milliseconds. And so what you're saying is today network providers can deliver 14 milliseconds on average. On average, but that's a mix of all technologies, Gary. That's going to include the DSL, um, you know, and, um, and and other older technologies. And so, and, and so I think this is really important because if we need to be able to get to, you know, say three milliseconds to be able to do VR and, you know, really be able to have the kind of experience we're going to need in the next several years. Um, and mobile networks, you're showing where are they around, you know, 20 to 30? 
Yeah, they're in the low 30s right now on average. Low 30s. And then satellites are way up there, 700, 6700. Yeah, there's a lot of variability here. Uh, what we we commonly will see that the mobile networks sort of on the on the worst side of the performance. I mean, not not outliers necessarily, but but you know, in areas where they're having you know poor latency on average, it it's, tends to be in the 40s, um, you know, up close to 50. Uh, and we we are seeing you know in some areas that they're getting down below 30, but it it is averaging out in the low 30s nationwide. So one of the things that you mentioned to me that kind of blew my mind is that you said that 80% of mobile traffic is over the fixed network. And you know, and even when you said that, I'm like, I don't, I wanna believe that, but I don't. So I was Googling and, and I found a number of different sources that backed up your claim. Um, but that's, a, that's an amazing number, right? And then obviously, you know, I've worked on Wi-Fi offload in, in past years. And, and so I know technically how it works, right? As soon as you're, in your house or your office or anywhere there's a Wi-Fi or any other thing that, you know, the first roll of wireless is get out of the air and into the ground is the first available spot. So mobile networks can be able to deliver these low latency if they're able to hop off um, the wireless network as quick as possible into fiber somewhere. Is that right? Yes, that's true. Um, you know, the, the more advanced uh, the new 5G networks that are coming out, edge computing, uh, you know, mo moving connectivity and processing to the edge is going to have a, a big impact on, on lowering those latencies in areas where that is available. But there are, are going to be a lot of areas that, that are a long time from seeing that sort of thing. Um, only in, in very densely populated networks are we going to see that kind of capability, uh, at least in the early days. And so, uh, but mobile networks, absolutely, you're... Uh, People are using those mobile devices more and more and more, but they're using them in their home, they're using them in their office, they're using them in the coffee shop or, or um, wherever they might be. And it is jumping off to that. In, in home, the in-home connectivity is, is an important aspect and, and an important part of the user experience. And the users often negatively impact their own experience by putting that Wi-Fi router in a metal cabinet uh, they're trying to use, you know, the connection from too many rooms away or out in their backyard, and often will will blame their provider. The AT and T, Verizon, T-Mobile, or whoever that provider is, is you know their their name is up there in the top of that that device, and and they're to a certain extent they're getting the reward or the blame, <laughs> uh, or a part of that uh, for however that connection is made. So I'm getting a ton of questions. Uh, I still have a lot of questions, but let me get to some of the audience questions. Um, so the biggest question that they have today is where can we obtain valid crowdsourced broadband service data? The most, most current funding opportunities allow applicants to cite crowdsourced data to support eligible location claims. So those people seeking grants, where do they get this um, crowdsourced data? Well, we, we are a data provider. There's, there's a number of places you can get crowdsourced data, but we do believe that we are the largest provider of that data. That is our business. Data is our business. Um, and, and we provide the aggregated data through our portals, but the raw data allows our clients to go do, you know, their, their own analysis uh, and concentrate on, on just the areas that, that they are most interested in. Uh, so there's a, uh, people can reach out to me via email, whatever, I'd be happy to get them connected with, with other folks within our organization. Fantastic. Can you comment on the status of servers that can test beyond one gigabit? 
as several service providers are looking at offering two gig and beyond? Yeah, I, I can't go into the details of who we're testing with at this point, but I can I can tell you that just as of as of Monday, um, our uh, our leader in that uh, in that part of the business development section said that we had been successfully testing 10 gigabit. We're seeing the numbers like you know like high you know 900 uh, uh, numbers that were which is exactly what you expect to see. You know you're not expecting to see exactly 10 because you've got uh, some split um, and, and overhead uh, there to, to contend with. But we're seeing, you know, that approaching that true, I mean, actually uh, nine, nine point something, 9.9 gigabits. So um, does Ookla have any plans to use layer speed test data with the forthcoming FCC maps? For example, if a WISP shows the exact propagation polygons in the new FCC maps, then Ookla overlays users of that um, WISP. Correct. Kind of like what you showed on your charts, right? The the FCC is using our data. Exactly how that's going to look in the map, uh, it's difficult to really know. Um, all of because we're in the data business, we don't allow them to just release the raw data, you know, into the wild because that would sort of undercut our business model. But they will be releasing aggregated information. I'm quite confident of that. One of the interesting things, though, about our, because we're getting our data so real time. Uh, we update our, our portal every night. Um, we're seeing new areas that are being expanded into that the federal government has no record of at this point because there hasn't been an opportunity yet for those filings to take place through Form 477. So we're we're very much ahead of, of the game uh, in terms of actually seeing real world consumer experiences you know, as the networks are being built out before they're even declared. Um, so on the um, first of all, you know, the, our audience says, Brian, great to hear your presentation. In the Black Forest example, where the 477 data shows that fiber speed tests are showing sub 25, might some of that ex be explained by folks subscribing to a low speed basic fiber package in, instead of an available faster package? And that comes from um, the South Dakota PUC. Yeah, uh, yeah, Jennifer, go on to one more slide. There we go. Perfect. Um, no, back, back one, please. There we go. Um, so what this is actually showing is layered data. And what we're seeing are the are actual consumer experiences. One of the points that we were trying to make here is that some of these areas are claimed as having fiber build out, but we're not seeing any evidence of it in some of these areas. And this is one of the things that the state broadband offices and the federal government, both NTIA and the FCC, are trying to reconcile. Why are these areas reported as fiber when we're seeing no evidence of it? This data is tiered and layered. So the very fastest speeds that we're seeing are on top. So everywhere you see a blue dot, there's probably a green dot or even a yellow dot underneath that because they're gonna be some tests from people who are who may be taking a test and, and are subscribing to a lower tier of service, or uh, maybe they've taken a test when their network was experiencing some problems. And so we've, we've layered it in a way to where the highest speed experienced in a given geographic block is actually the dot that appears on the top. So where you see a cluster of red dots 
in, in the Black Forest, in several places around the Black Forest area, what we're saying is we see no indication at all that anyone is accessing a higher speed. So it does raise the question, is it being offered? Does it actually exist there? Is it an adoption problem? If you see a very significant number of tests, it's difficult to imagine that absolutely no one has adopted it in the full 12 months after the reported period. That's, that's, that's highly unlikely that we wouldn't see a single test that exceeds 25 or perhaps 100 when fiber is actually being offered in the area. Um, I don't have the individual boundary lines on here for the census blocks because it just was going to make the map too muddy. Um, but the, the, these areas that you see in purple represent a multitude of different census blocks of varying sizes. I think we all know that census blocks when you get into rural areas can be extraordinarily large. And in areas where you have where it's dense, it may literally be just a city block. Um, so you have a, a varying level of sizes here, um, but they're all sort of bled together on this map, just for simplification. So we got to wrap up here, Brian. Um, this is a, you know, amazing information, and the big squares kind of you know let you know how bad um, the past mapping um, you know using census blocks didn't really work out very well for us. Uh, so what is your thought on with the new, you know, the Broadband Data Act and what the FCC is going to be delivering, CostQuest is going to be delivering to the FCC? Do you think that's going to change the game for us? We're going to get better visibility and we can do make better decisions? I do, but I think it's going to take quite a while. There's a lot. The FCC is under a great deal of pressure to get this map pushed out, in, in part because of the way the legislation is written. The state broadband offices aren't going to get that guaranteed $100 billion until the FCC has finished a map. Let's face it, the, the map itself will never be finished because it's always going to be changing, right? But the question is, at what point can the FCC plant a flag and say, here's our first crack, so that that money can start to flow and the state governments can actually get their broadband offices up and running, start handing out some grants in areas where they know where it's obvious that, they, that infrastructure is, is needed, um, and then let the rest of the money flow out as the map is improved over time. Um, there's, there's a desire to get this map rolled out by maybe end of summer, early fall. Is that realistic? I, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to say, uh, but we know that the fabric map that they're ultimately going for that is going to map connectivity at every parcel, and, and ultimately they want every building in the country, that's a long way from being realized. Um, and so, you know, hopefully that a, a level of understanding, a level of visibility into broadband uh, connectivity can get rolled out into a map so that these funds can start to flow. Well, Brian, um, thank you so much. You know what I love about Nucla data? It's not what people are promising. It's what, you know, subscribers are actually experiencing. So you can see what, what, what it is they're getting. Um, so I really learned so much every time I talk to you. So thank you so much again, Brian. And we really appreciate what you and UCLA are doing for our industry. Thank um, you, and Gary. I know there's a lot of questions here. People wanting to couldn't see the graphs that well. So um, send a note to Jennifer and she'll send you the, the charts. If you're okay with that, Brian. Certainly happy to answer whatever questions we can. And you can reach out to me via email, Brian with a Y dot dar, D-A-R-R at UCLA.com. All right, well, thanks for joining us today. I look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. We're going to be discussing the terabit edge with my friend and former colleague, 
Steve Alexander, who's the CTO at Sienna, and he's going to discuss how the terabit edge will be one of the key enablers to delivering the high bandwidth, low latency services needed for our long sought for work, learn, play from anywhere digital experience. So you're not going to meet, you want to miss that. So we'll see you next Wednesday. Bye, everybody.